0: Beth Bruno and I lead our strategic initiatives at Restory Counseling, a Colorado-based center of therapists, story work coaches, spiritual directors, and all-around amazing people. We're excited to be back trying some new things still committed to bringing you conversations at the intersection of psychology and theology. This month, we're doing a series on the remnants of purity culture, if you're a Christian who grew up in the nineties and are white, American, evangelical, chances are, you know exactly what I mean by this. If you aren't or weren't, you're probably still familiar with the effects of that movement and perhaps living out some of them today. Well, I am so pleased to bring you the voices of two of our story work coaches at Restory Counseling, Michael Cromendike and Lisa Russell. You can watch them dive into this topic together in a webinar we've recorded over at restory.life webinars, and you can listen to their interviews with authors of recently released books on this topic right here on the podcast this month. In today's episode, Michael talks with Zachary Wagner, author of Non-Toxic Masculinity, Recovering Healthy Male Sexuality. Zachary is Editorial Director for the Center for Pastor Theologians and is currently pursuing a PhD in New Testament at the University of Oxford, where he lives with his wife and children. Listen in.
1: Hello, my name is Michael Kromendyke. I am a Restory coach here with Restory Counseling, and I'm here with Zachary Wagner, who's the author of the new book, Non-Toxic Masculinity. Uh, Recovering Healthy Male Sexuality. Zachary, welcome to the Restory Podcast.
2: Thanks so much for having me. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Yeah. Thank you
1: so much for being willing to spend some time with us. Um, I was wondering if you might just start briefly by telling us a little bit about yourself and kind of the season of life that you find yourself in.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I uh, am uh, married to Shelby For coming up on nine years, Uh, we have three kids, six, three, and then a nine-month-old. Currently, we live in the United Kingdom, where I am working on a PhD in New Testament. Uh, About two years, two and a half years into that, with probably another year, year and a half to go. Um, And then also... Which is good. (laughs) Yeah, well... it doesn't always feel that way but you know <laughs> right. attorney according to according to the schedule if all goes according to plan Good. um yeah kind of over the over the hump potentially yeah. um and then i also work for an organization called the center for pastor theologians i'm the editorial director and i i work part-time remote uh for them they're based in the chicago area as well awesome awesome well, hey,
1: uh, we are here to talk about um, this book that you wrote. Um, and I just want to say personally uh, to you, Zachary, thank you mm-hmm. um, for writing this book. Um, I came across it um, a month or so ago um, before it got released uh, from your publisher. Sure. They, sent, they sent our our, um, our staff a book and it was passed on to me because I was actually preparing a presentation to talk to some local pastors about this very topic. Oh, right. And I initially opened it up and like with the intent to like, you know, try to get some more material in this, because honestly, Zachary, like you maybe know this, there's not a lot out there. Um, no. Yeah. I can cu- tell. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, I'm curious. I'm happy to, I'm happy to comment on that. But when you say this very topic, which, what topic do you mean? Do you mean human sexuality? Do you mean masculinity? Do you mean male sexuality? Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. I think it's, I think it's all of those things within the context of the purity culture. Sure, um, yes, is, is yes, really that's actually where I was going with that presentation yeah. and yeah. um and as I began reading it, like I began seeing the the intersect with with my story and, oh, and my wow. own my own journey with this as well mm-hmm. um so this book for me is not only just like you know a work thing, but for me it's become something that um has been very significant for me so I, I just wow. want to say thank you to you for yeah. that to start out um yeah. but I also just, i'm I'm curious like, with this kind of with this kind of work in front of you like why were you the guy like why did you feel like man this is something that i need to do and tell us a little bit about your journey in doing so
2: sure yeah well when i first started thinking about writing the book i very much did not feel like i was the guy to do mm-hmm. it and um perhaps other others can assess Uh, whether I was or not, as the the book gets out and is getting reviewed and getting read, I I really more than anything just hope it proves helpful. And also, thank you so much for saying that. That's really encouraging for me to hear about uh, just even the way the the book has impacted you personally. Yeah, for sure. Um, But there are really two streams of um, the story that led to me making the decision to write this book. The first is this broader cultural conversation that I think you could say started in force around the Me Too movement and the election of President Trump and uh, scandal after scandal from Bill Cosby to whoever else of all these well-known men that Mm -hmm. um, fall, quote-unquote. In the church
1: as well, right?
2: Well, yeah, that's where I was going next is it kind of started in this celebrity culture and then women speaking out about their experiences of, of uh, sexual violence and sexual abuse. And then the parallel hashtag church to, which was started right. a little bit after that yeah. um, by right. Emily Joy Allison and some others. Uh, showed that this problem was not limited to the kind of toxic expressions of masculinity in the culture at large, but also right. in the church. Right. And uh, early 2021, there were just a few things in the church context. I grew up in uh, conservative evangelicals and still live and and move in that world in a lot of ways. Um, but early 2021, uh, you had the news about Ravi Zacharias, yeah, Josh Duger, mm-hmm. uh, the Bill Hybels news was still pretty fresh. Um, exposé in the Houston Chronicle about Southern Baptist churches and then these Atlanta spa shootings where this uh, young man who uh, shot and killed uh, women primarily of East Asian descent cites his sexual addiction and his need to eliminate temptation as his motive for doing so. So there's this broader conversation and I, I think like many was really, really disturbed and alarmed by this pattern that I was seeing. Yeah. Um, and then that intersected, this broader narrative intersected with my personal story in that I grew up very much in the thick of what we've already alluded to, purity culture, yeah. uh, where I was shaped much in every way by the resources, you know, from Joshua Harris to Stephen Arterburn to all the rest of it. Um, you know, Would you mind, my, Zachary,
1: just sure. briefly just defining, like, what do you mean when you say purity culture?
2: Yeah, when I, uh, I have a... Uh, definition that I offer in the book, I don't know if I'll be able to produce it verbatim right now, but it is the um, theological assumptions, discipleship materials, events, and books that mostly white conservative evangelicals offered in response to the sexual revolution. So it is, I understand purity culture and the purity movement as a... Uh, reactive cultural movement in response to a wider and larger cultural m- movement that is the sexual revolution. Yeah. So um it's often most closely associated with the the kind of the king of purity culture is is Joshua Harris and his mm-hmm. book I Kiss Dating Goodbye. Yeah. But in my focus and this is getting ahead a little bit in my focus on uh, the male burdens um, and carried uh, carried and and harms associated with purity culture, I think more influential is Every Man's Battle by Fred yeah. Stoker and uh, yeah. Stephen Arterburn. I would agree with that. Um, yeah. So uh, purity culture placed a strong emphasis on things like waiting until, until marriage to have sex, um, but also often included a lot of promises and hype around what sex in marriage would be like. And that's where this intersects with my story, I, I think um first like many young men of my generation um i was struggling you could say um or dealing with and having experiences around masturbation and, and pornography in my teen years advent of high high-speed internet um and then the, the smartphone a few just a few years after that yeah. meant uh, this was something that a lot of young men and young women, it should be noted, were were dealing with. And yeah. that mixed together with this high stakes rhetoric around purity culture and staying pure until you are married and the negative consequences that will be associated with that and uh, supposedly and uh, the ways that will harm your marriage or ruin you or compromise your relationship. Yeah. We got all of that, all of that really, really intense rhetoric in, in the purity movement around these things. Uh, plus just, you know, teenage kids trying to navigate this led to, uh, for me and many others, a, a, uh, pretty crazy mix of, uh, shame and struggle and frustration, um, going through my, my teen and into my college and college years in my twenties. But, but, you know, as much as that was a characteristic struggle, my, uh, girlfriend, then fiance, uh, now wife, we, you know, we stayed good. We followed the rules. Uh, that purity culture had commended to us. And we did not uh, sleep together until we got married. Yeah. But pretty quickly after we got married, we found that the beautiful, shame-free, uh, struggle-free, satisfying, joyful, frequent yeah. sex life that was yeah. promised so often in purity culture did not materialize for us. Yeah. So we just kind of struggled with that for the first five years or so with, of our marriage. And, um, you know, I talk about this in the book that was that was hard and that was was frustrating for each of us in different ways. Um, One, the kind of my side of the equation is that I was still carrying a lot of those uh, kind of mental pathways and shame uh, fueled habits in my body and in my brain as it associated with any experience, even uh, of, of sexual intimacy. Uh, including the ones in marriage that I had been told that this is the, this is good. This is where you don't need to be ashamed. Right. I was still feeling a lot of that. Yeah. Um, and then my wife, we come to find early in the marriage, we weren't thinking in these terms and hadn't quite realized this um, in this way, right. but she is a survivor of childhood sexual abuse, church-based mm-hmm. sexual abuse. Wow. And okay. um, that's a huge other piece Uh to what was going on there, yeah. and why we were facing some of these uh, struggles, and why it wasn't working in the way that purity culture had told us it was going to um, pan. There was out. a formula, right? Like it yes, was like exactly. A plus
1: B equals C.
2: Yeah, Aaron yeah. almost right, hundred percent. Yeah, so follow these rules, and yeah. God will bless you with your yeah. best sex life later. Pretty much right. is something I, I say in the book. Yeah. So those two stories came together in early 2021 for me. And I had thought maybe at some point in the future I would write a book about masculinity, it's something that I had thought about um but man, the cultural um pressures and the moment uh through some prayer, reflection, yeah. conversations with mentors, uh in, on paper it did not make sense at, at all for me to write a book when I was in the middle of a PhD program. Uh but you know, I many decided, reasons. Yeah. Yes. Um <laughs> And I should say, my PhD research is not on this topic; it's a completely different thing. <laughs> yeah. um, but you know, felt like this is what I was being called to, and uh, went ahead and 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 did it, and here we are.
1: Well, I'm so glad. I'm so glad you did, Zachary. Um, it this I, I truly believe that this book is a gift, and and uh, it just to me it just feels like one of those works that's going to live on, and and um, and is really significant, mm-hmm. particularly for us in this generation. Um, I, I want to. I, 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 we're going to get into the masculine messages and all that stuff, but but something that was very striking to me at the very towards the beginning of this book, um, you begin talking about the voices of the women who have spoken out, right, and who have written yeah. about their experiences in purity culture. Um, and I'm not going to name all the authors, but there's so many of them, right? Yes. And and you you say these words. You say so much of what I have learned about sexual brokenness in the church. I've learned from women who are courageous enough to say to the men in their lives, you're hurting us. This book is a work of gratitude to these women and an apology. And I feel like that sets the book up because one, it places you just in a, like, I feel like you understand where you are in this, this voice as a whole, right. Mm -hmm. Um, on this topic. Um, but, could you talk for a minute like what about the importance of us as men taking responsibility for some of the things that we have caused to women in this whole movement as well um and just yeah. an awareness of that would you be willing to bring that
2: Yeah I mean I'll start and I'll you know I'll try to keep it together here I'll start by saying that you know included in that that comment about so much of what I've learned, I've learned from women is certainly all these authors. Mm. But uh it is also my wife Shelby. Um yeah. and I and I should say I didn't say this before when I mentioned that she's a she's a survivor, that she um, you know, gives her consent for me to share this and uh is very open about her story. And I'm not kind of like speaking on her behalf, but with right. uh, her her blessing. Um but in my own life, I I think. Shelby had the courage in a very vulnerable and intimate space in our relationship to tell me that my sense of entitlement hmm. to this part of our relationship was harming her. Yeah. Um, And in a world where there's so much pressure for her to kind of just do the dutiful thing and be the good wife and yeah. uh, make herself available, all these really dehumanizing modes of thinking that both of us had, um, had been subjected to. Uh, she advocated for herself and said, mm-hmm. I'm not I, like, I'm, 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 I'm not going to do this. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm worth more than this. And uh, even signaled to me in the ways that I wasn't aware of that uh, I was re-traumatizing her mm. uh, through my neediness and yeah. my, um, you know, assumptions that, <clears throat> excuse me, um, sex was something that I um, needed even yeah. as, a, as a man. Um, so that's number one. Number two is, uh, I think so much of what prevails in churches or in books and resources around human sexuality um, has a dangerously male-centric perspective in its approach to... Sexual ethics, sex and marriage, yeah, any number of things. And I think as part of this broader cultural movement around Me Too and Church Too, there has been a uh, an important kind of groundswell of women speaking out and adding their voices to uh, the conversation and speaking out against some of the dehumanizing patterns and rhetoric that they've seen. Yeah. And I would be lying if I said that it didn't take women talking about this to get my attention on the topic. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it was not me. Um. So when I write this book, it's not like, hey, guys, I've been thinking about this. I think we've got it all wrong. It's actually here's the here's the new way to think about male sexuality. So much of any kind of wisdom and insight or, you know, value in in critique or revisioning yeah. of uh, sexuality that I offer in my book, a massive percentage of it, I'm just indebted to so many women for. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's a humbling place to be when when you realize you've been wrong about something mm-hmm. and also realize that you have been part of and participated in a problem that has led to great harm Um, for others and also for yourself. Um so yeah, that's that's some thoughts in response in response.
1: No, yeah, I I I feel like you you even going into a book like this, honestly, even going into a talk topic about this, about um the harm that has come to men due to uh things like the purity culture and the things you're talking about, right? It almost feels—I felt this deeply as I'm as I was preparing for this presentation that I was telling you about. Mm -hmm. This deep, like, sense of like, oh, like I know, like I've experienced. I know we as men have experienced some harm in this, but it feels like—and again, I hate to put any percentage on it—but it feels like a brunt of the harm has come to uh, so many women that I'm—I'm connected to. My wife being one so many other women in my small group, this is something we've talked about and something yes. they brought up, like you said, like yep. they started the conversation. Yes. And part of me is just frustrated that like, why did it take that, you know, like, yeah. why couldn't us as men like humble ourselves and recognize, man, our, this system that we have set up is uh, is so toxic, it's so un- mm. un- unsafe. Um, mm. I don't know, like, uh, do you, but, but do you hear what I'm saying? Like I, I wonder I do. if you feel that Absolutely. same tension of like just the weight of responsibility of what we as men have poured into, but also yeah. when you talk about a, a subject like this, the harm that we've experienced as well.
2: Yes. Yeah, I think it makes sense, and I think you're right, that women bear the brunt of the harm associated with purity culture in terms of uh, the responsibility that is placed on their shoulders, not only for their own sexual integrity, but the sexual integrity of the men around them and of the entire community. That's a heavy weight that purity culture places on women. And um, also, purity culture tends to pander to men's immature expressions of their sexuality. It too often doesn't exhort men to grow up out of an immature and hypersexualized vision of who they are, but merely creates boundaries and structures around this kind of animalistic understanding yeah. of maleness yeah. and puts all the pressure on external systems and women yeah. to make sure that men are under control mm-hmm. rather than, exhorting men to self-control and yeah. maturity where they can uh not just restrain themselves but live into a beautiful and mature and uh humanizing expression of of yeah. who they are as sexual beings. Yeah. Um yeah. so I think while you know it's a central thesis of my book that men Two are dehumanized by purity culture and are harmed by purity culture, men do get some benefits from the system, it seems to me, including a vision of, one, a, a, a diminishment of responsibility where they kind of get off free and are allowed to struggle with sin and when they hurt somebody else, it's like, well, what could you, what did you expect? And, you know, everything is diminished in terms of male responsibility and uh, a sense that a access to an entitlement to uh, sex within marriage is their birthright as men, as husbands. Right. Um And this kind of future held out of sexual ecstasy in marriage as God's design and guarantee for them, uh, as a, um, as almost a consolation prize for not indulging in the worldly passions of promiscuity culture or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, um, you know, there's been a lot, a lot of the rhetoric around purity culture will sometimes say that women are harmed and men get all the benefits And in some ways that's true. Mm -hmm. But when I early before I thought about writing this book, when I was reading some of these books and things that coming out, when I would read that, I would be honest. I was like, I I feel like I carry a lot of scars from my experiences with purity culture. Yeah. Um, And it is not just all hunky dory. I get to have sex whenever I want now that I'm married. Right. Um, And uh I feel like I have been malformed by much of the teaching that I received yeah. on this topic. So that yeah. got me thinking, what are the ways that this has, because it, it's different. It's it's different than the way it harms women. But what are the ways that this yeah. system harms and dehumanizes men as well?
1: Yeah. And, and I'm curious. I mean, that just kind of leads me to kind of where I want to go. I'm curious about some of those, those, those aspects that you talk about in the book uh, as yeah. far as like, you know, everything from the dehumanization, right? Uh, that we yep. feel that we, you know, the the um you know, the unhealthy um perspective that we gain of our bodies, that our bodies, because our bodies long to have sex and we're not quote allowed like all the response from the church is no, don't shut it down, yes. right? Yeah, then if we have these desires in our bodies and our bodies are are wrong, there's something wrong with us, right? Yeah until we get married and then there's a magical like switch that's flipped right yes. and then everything's okay and the shame is gone uh yes. miraculously yes um so I- i'm just curious for you to talk some about a-, a little bit about some of those um some of those harmful messages that we received
2: as yeah well. well i mean we've touched on a few of them already but i'll 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 list off what you were just talking about number 1 is this kind of ambivalence around human sexuality like is human sexuality good or is it bad is my sexual desire good or bad and there for all of the like sex is a beautiful gift from god rhetoric that yeah. often prevails there's also a deeply ingrained fear of yeah. sex of sex and sexual desire i think particularly for men so I remember even reading and being exposed to some of this before I hit puberty and thinking about my sexuality as this like terrifying thing that was coming over the hill at me. That was yeah. a destructive force that would complicate my life and lead to pain yeah. and uh potential harm for me and the, you know a, a compromise of my relationship with God or whatever yeah. the case may be. And that I have this, like, you know, if you're 13 and you think maybe I'll get married in my early 20s or something like that, I have this decade of, like, terror in front Mm. of me associated with with my sexuality. Um, So that this vision of sexuality as in itself dangerous and something to be feared is contrary to the biblical and christian traditions uh statement over our bodies yeah as very good including all the constituent parts of human embodiment absolutely our sexuality as an abstraction but also our sexual organs themselves right um so in as much as purity culture led men women and men to despise their sexuality it led them to live in fear of and dis- uh, and despise their bodies yeah which is not a christian way of thinking about bodies our bodies are are very good and blessed by god right um so let's start there um another really common uh harmful message it seems to me is this formula thing that we've already talked about this yeah. you know insert You know this amount of self control and this amount of sexual restraint, and you will be blessed with guaranteed a sexual fulfilling future, a marriage, children, whatever the case may be. And in my personal story, that just did not pan out. It did not. And uh, I'll raise my hand to that too. Yes, exactly. (laughs) I can say same story. Ask plenty of people. Um, like is is if you waited quote unquote is sex what your you know 16 year old self thought it would be in marriage and i think you know most people are going to say absolutely not right um did it live up to the hype um so and then the flip side of that coin is this the kind of scare and uh fear tactics and rhetoric around the opposite. If you do this, it will ruin your life, lead to this, you know, the the mean girls joke, you'll get chlamydia and you'll die. But it's like, I know plenty of people, Christians and otherwise, right. that did all sorts of things that I didn't right. as young people. And yeah. as far as I can tell, and in as much as I've had, you know, conversations with good friends about what this experience of their life is like. Seem to have like perfectly happy and healthy marriages and functional, yeah. functional intimate relationships with their partner, and it's not like if you had sex beforehand, your life and your marriage is ruined, right? So uh, this kind of formulaic approach to yeah. um, sexual behavior for young people just is not—it's yeah. not true, and yeah. the world is much more complicated from that. And there's no guaranteed way to avoid uh, sexual suffering. On the one hand, nor yeah. is there a guaranteed way to attain sexual fulfillment, yeah. quote-unquote. Um, yeah, more I could say, but it sounds like you want to jump.
1: No, I mean, ahead. in addition to what you said, it's it's not only that our 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 sexuality was tainted if we fell, but in many ways, like you tie this together in the book, which is actually something I haven't really thought much about until I read this, but it was directly connected to our faith, wasn't it, Zach? Absolutely. Like, as far as, like, if you fall in this area, holy smokes, you're unpure before the living God.
2: and Yes. Good luck. <laughs> yes, yeah. This is something that Samuel Perry and some others have uh, described as sexual exceptionalism. That's mm-hmm. a language I use in in the book. I think, per, well, for men and women in different ways. I think yeah. if you're feel like you're measuring up as it relates to your sexuality, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not sleeping with my boyfriend, or I'm not watching porn, or I'm not masturbating, or I'm not, you know. Getting distracted by the billboard, you know, you could list a, a bunch of things. Yeah. Then I have attained, you know, to Christian maturity and righteous and righteousness, and I'm I'm doing okay. But if I struggle or fall or you know, compromise in one way, my entire relationship with the Lord is a farce. And my entire faith is seen like this is the battlefield on which your life. Right. Spiritual life will be lost or won.
1: Yeah.
2: And that's you know,
1: the, the even the title, every man's battle, right? Like, like this was like put on that mountaintop, that this is it. This is the epic yes. of all battles, right?
2: So yeah, the the kind of centering of sexuality in, in Christian discipleship, it seems to me, was really, really problematic. And uh it's certainly something that Christians have thought about and uh that uh scripture speaks to. Yeah. But it is not the be-all and end-all of what it means to walk with the Lord or live yeah. into the kingdom of God.
1: I want to throw a little bit of a curveball at you.
2: Um, okay. I'm, I'm trying to prep
1: you for it. But Zachary, as you think about your story as a whole, right, um, your story with this whole idea of masculinity and your sexuality, uh, and you think about what the messages that you heard and internalized from the church, um, what do you wish that younger version of yourself would have heard uh, from church leaders? Um,
2: a few things. One is that it actually it genuinely is a wonderful and beautiful thing to be a man. Yeah, That your body is good. And even when you feel like it's out of control or you're struggling with the way your body is feeling, that does not compromise the goodness
1: yeah.
2: of you as a person and the beauty of you as a person and the delight that God takes in, in who you are. Yeah. Um, not in spite of your sexuality, but indeed because of it. Yeah. Um, it's not like God loves us and our sexual desires are something he tolerates right he loves our sexual selves he loves our sexual bodies yeah. um and then also just like part struggling to figure this part of being human out is part of growing up yeah. and of course you know when you're given the keys to the car as your body goes through the process of, of puberty and all of that you're going to have some bumps and you're going to to figure stuff out and you might have to learn some better habits and you might struggle to shake some unhealthy habits that you don't feel good about or you know are not uh, ways of respecting others or respecting yourself but that is just part of growing up and this entire paradigm of our purity is something that is intact when we enter the world and then we can compromise it through sinful choices right i I think is really destructive yeah. for young people. whereas a better paradigm it seems to me is this idea of growing up into maturity and growing up into Christ likeness and growing in the virtue of chastity if you want to use that language. and growing up is a process that doesn't happen overnight. It takes time. so if yeah. you're as a young person figuring it out, that makes sense. you have years to figure this out and you do need to be careful because there are ways that sexuality can if wrongly right, right. Uh, or foolishly um, yeah. kind of lived out yeah. can lead to lead to real harm for yeah. you and for other people yeah and can seriously complicate your life exactly. um yeah so it's not like these warnings around this part of being human were in vain. Yeah like there's really serious stuff going on here yeah but i think along with that we can hold intention this idea that like hey kids are gonna make mistakes like there's no kind of future where you arrive at your marriage um unscarred by any form of sexual sin or suffering yeah um and i don't think that's what we see commended in scripture when we yeah. think about marriage is like just kind of white knuckle it. And then you make it to cross the finish line and then go nuts. That yeah. seems to me is a, actually a pagan way of thinking about human sexuality. Yeah. yeah. Um. So uh, there might've been one other one, but those are some of the messages that yeah. I feel like I, when I have the opportunity uh, to talk to young people about this, mm. or when I think about my own kids uh, in the future, that's, yeah. those are some of the things that I that I hope yeah. may prove helpful.
1: So that is not only for our own selves as you know, but it's also like for the listeners like it's for you and your teenagers it's for you mm-hmm. and your preteens and how do we care for them how do we walk them through you know another one that I was just as I answered asked that question I had you know some thoughts in my own head and sure one of the things for me is like man I just wish I knew I wish I had somebody who like would walk with me not yes. just tell me what's what's what what to not do and just yes. and only be there for me when i did do it right yes. but like with somebody to walk with me and somebody honestly to just teach me what it's like what it looks like to love a woman right like what mm. like some some godly training on this is how you care for your wife mm. this is how you have intimacy like without sex right like not sex intimacy sure. but just regular relational intimacy with sure. your spouse right yeah. like Those are things that we don't we don't really we didn't really learn, at least I didn't. Um, but would have been super helpful. So um I don't know, like it's we've got a long way to go, but I think I think just what you're sharing and everything um is a really good way to approach this, um, not only for ourselves and man, Zachary showing kindness to ourselves.
2: Yes, oh my goodness. In all
1: that as well, right? Like recognizing that as I talk to my younger self and you talk to yours, that um That there needs some that those those younger versions of us, um, whether you're male or female, need a lot of care and a lot of kindness, a lot of compassion. Um, One of the things we talk about around restory is that um, one of the things, one of the main things we believe that disarm shame is is kindness, is just the kindness and compassion of Jesus and speaking those things into uh, into those younger selves that experience that shame so deeply. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Join us next week as Lisa interviews Sheila Gregoire, author of She Deserves Better, Great Sex Rescue, and many more. And don't forget to check out restorylive webinars to watch Michael and Lisa's conversation on the impact of purity culture on them personally and those with whom they work. Thanks for listening to the re-story podcast. I'm Beth Bruno, and I'll catch you next time.